Hi, are you a gifted or twice exceptional adult who feels a bit stuck in your journey? Do you have goals and dreams which you would love to achieve, but you don't know where to start or feel a little bit overwhelmed? Or maybe you have a thousand ideas, 500 projects, and get distracted by your own thoughts and would love some support on focus and accountability? Whatever gets you stuck, I wholeheartedly believe that gifted and twice exceptional specific coaching will help you unleash your power so that you can be your most authentic gifted self. I recently embarked on my journey on becoming a gifted and twice exceptional coach. So if you are interested in working with me one-on-one, please reach out via email at hello at giftedunleashed.com or you can find more information about my coaching offers on the website giftedunleashed.com forward slash coaching. I would love working with you and I would love to get you unstuck. So please reach out and let's get started. Hello and welcome to Unleash Monday, where we talk about the brain, especially the gifted brain, and how does it affect our thinking and experience of the world differently. There are a lot of stereotypes and stigma around giftedness, and I'm here to challenge those. I'm here to raise awareness and to have a conversation around this topic of what does it mean to be a gifted adult. Common experience among gifted folks is that they feel out of place. They don't quite fit in. They are too sensitive, too intense, too emotional, too overexcitable, and too deep thinkers about the world and about themselves. If you have been called too much of about anything, then this show is for you. My name is Nadia. I'm too loud, too colorful, too bubbly, too bossy, and love to talk too much. So welcome to my world, and I'm so happy you are here. Today on the show, we have a very special guest. Her name is Saskia the Fighter, and she's a business owner, a mom, and she has a conscious knitting club. I met her a couple of months ago, and we clicked instantly. The more she talked about herself, the more I saw myself in her story. And the more we had a conversation, the more I was like, hmm, I think maybe Saskia is one of us. Maybe Saskia is also an unidentified gifted adult. So this is not something I guess you go and you point out to people you just meet. But because I was on my journey and I shared my journey with her, and I believe Some of it also resonated with her before I actually approached that topic. I said to her, Saskia, I think you might be a gifted adult. Have you ever looked into this topic? And like most of us, she was kind of flattered that I thought she might be one of us. But then she quickly dismissed the idea and was like, no, 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 this cannot be me. I'm not gifted. Me, this cannot be. So we kept on having this conversation and she started listening to my first episodes of the podcast and I invited her to come on the show and she agreed. So this is her story and it's the story of somebody that is right in the middle of discovering that she might be a gifted adult. So I thought this would really be interesting for some of you if you're currently on this journey thinking like, can I be, could this be an explanation? But then also being scared. So she shared with me her journey of 
how she grew up and how she started her own business. It took a while for her to say what she had to say, but I didn't want to cut it shorter. I really left the whole length of the introduction in there because it really reflects in certain parts of why I think she might be a gifted adult. So I don't want to say too much. So just pay attention if you see and hear the keywords. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not trained in identifying gifted adults. I'm just simply somebody that was on this journey a couple of months ago and I started reading a few books. I'm not an expert in a sense that I have a degree in this, but I had conversation with other experts and especially the last episode when I talked to Paula Prober, I asked her, how many people have come to you and said, I've read all these books and I tick all the boxes in your checklist. How likely is it that I'm not a gifted adult? And she said, the probability is probably zero. If you really check these boxes, you can call yourself a gifted adult. There's no shame. There's no test you need to take. If this is something that resonates with you, just take it and use the resources that are there to guide you through your life and go back and analyze how far you've come and where your experience might differ from other people's and then move forward and use this as a stepping stone, not as a roadblock. And so I strongly believe that Saskia is indeed a gifted adult. So she was really on her journey in the middle of it when we recorded this interview. And I'm so happy she agreed to do this and be kind of a guinea pig to this whole experience. So with no further delay, introduce you to Saskia. Welcome, Saskia. I'm so happy you're here. Me too. Super excited. So I'm curious where this conversation is going to go. You and me both, sister. (laughs) (laughs) So before we start talking about where you are today, would you like to share a little bit who you are and your whole journey of where you are now? Okay, so usually my stories are really, really long and they go everywhere. But I've had some exercise in the last couple of months, so I'm sure I'll be able to do it a little bit shorter. I was born in, (laughs) there you go, I'm 45. And if I start with I was born, then it has a little bit of a long and winding road. Anyway, I was born in Ghent in Belgium, daughter of a Belgian mother and a Dutch father. Both were very different, Catholic mother, Protestant dads. My mother is like very posh and my father is the son of a a miller. Uh, My grandfather owned a windmill. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. Both my grandfathers had their own business. One of them had a windmill and the other one had a sawmill. So actually, I never thought of that. I never made that link. So that's really funny. Anyway, my Belgian grandmother was predominantly in the house and a housemaker. And my other grandmother uh, was very active within the business. She was doing the numbers and everything. And my dad, he never finished school. (laughs) 
And he started his own, he was a real estate agent. And my mother helped my grandfather a little bit with accounting and everything, but mostly she was at home. I was brought up in a super patriarchy. Girls were supposed to be smiling and neat and looking pristine. And uh, I was everything that wasn't that. (laughs) So I was loud. I had all the emotions at the same time. I was super creative and... It was kind of hard for my parents to deal with that, I think. And in hindsight, I think they were both uh, a mixture of all of those things, but they never let themselves or their grandparents never let them pursue any of the, the goals they had in creativity or whatever. I remember one day that my dad, we were in a restaurant and he was like doodling on a napkin. And I'm like, oh my God, you can really draw. I must have been... I think 12, 13, and I never knew. And my mom was always singing in a church choir. So she was a singer and I myself really love to sing and dance as well. But I feel like I'm only realizing now that they've always been repressing that part of themselves. And from an early age, I have decided I am not like them. And actually, when I actually was, I'm not like them in the sense that I pursued every single thing that I loved. And so I wanted to go to art school. I wanted to become a fashion designer. And I always looked different. My sister was like the perfect image of what my parents wanted us to be. So she would be in plaid skirts and like nice blouses. She was like blue eyes, blonde hair. She was like the perfect image of the posh girl. And I was very much into grunge, (laughs) always followed my heart, even though it got me into trouble in a sense that I wasn't accepted by my family, but also the larger family, like everybody except for my paternal grandmother. uh, She would say like, oh my God, you have blue hair. Come in, let's have tea. And my mother wouldn't talk to me for two weeks. I'm serious. She wouldn't even say a word. I'm a big girl, I'm a large woman, and have always thought that I was while I actually wasn't. (laughs) But that's a whole different thing. And I'm just realizing all these things about my life slowly and steadily that I was like a reflection to my mother of the parts she wanted to be but didn't pursue and the parts that she didn't want to be, and I didn't care. I was comfortable with myself, you know? So I went to art school. It was a big surprise that they let me. I was super surprised. I'm like, they're not going to accept this. And after a couple of years, my dad expected me to go and work for him. He's like, the fun is over. Let's, uh, let's now get serious. And I'm like, no way, dude, <laughs> not going to happen. And so In art school, I wanted to be fashion designer, but I was 17 and I decided to find the art school as far away from my house as possible 
because I needed to break free from all the rules and I needed to be able to be myself. I was so restrained in, in everything that was me. I was like the typical black sheep. But 17 and art school and not having like this solid base to go back to was not such a good combination of situations. So however much I loved it, I had a hard time there. In the first year was a general year. All the subjects were kind of general and uh, the subjects that were aimed at fashion, I really didn't like. I had trouble with the restraint of everything. I had trouble with, I thought art school was going to give me freedom. I was yearning. I was like, I needed freedom after all that restraint. And art school was actually just a school. They expected me to do things. And they were like, yeah, you should really learn how to do things first. And then after you can get some freedom. And I was super frustrated about that. And I also did a lot of photography as a teen. I got my first camera when I, at my 10th birthday, I remember it. I was so happy. It was uh, a red little camera. And I really remember how it slides open and how that felt like the little click. It's like, it's so connected to me that I won't forget it, but it's like, all of the details I know and the second camera, how it sounded because that one was automatic. It went and I love that. (laughs) And the color, the blue that second one had was so specific blue. Sometimes I see a car and I'm like, oh, that's my Haking Unu. (laughs) That's like my, the color of my second camera. But at the same time, I forget what we ate yesterday. So it's weird. Anyway, so I loved photography as well. And I had a lot of friends in high school that were musicians. And I was kind of was a musician too. I loved singing, but I never got into bands because they usually wanted boys. And I didn't want to be like a girly singer. I wanted to be BJ Harvey. I don't know if you know her, but she's like... She looks really petite, but when she opens her mouth, oh my God, <laughs> she's really cool. So my friends, they, they entered a competition that was like a national competition for teens and children in culture, anything culture. So arts and crafts and music, everything. And I thought, oh, you know what? I want to kind of go with them and go with them on this journey, but I'm not in the band. So I'll just send in one of my pictures. And I did. And then I won national and I was on TV and everything. And I think I must have been 15 or 16, I think 15. And it was a huge, like, the universe was telling me, it's okay. You are an artist. You can be yourself. People see it. Other people see who you are. And um, almost getting emotional here. <laughs> and that was a defining moment. And when I was on that TV show, I was in the, like, in the hub of cultural everything. It was so exciting. I felt like this country girl that was in the big city and they actually wanted to hear what I had to say. And it was really exciting. And so from that, I decided I really, really, really want to go to art school. So back to art school, I ended up in the South, but in the Southeast. So if I wanted to go there, it took me hours. I had to go through Belgium or if I wanted to go by train, 
it, it took the whole day. So I was good. I was far away from where I grew up. And I'm still having trouble saying far away from my parents. I always keep this information kind of to myself also in my work, but it's very important to mention, I think. So I tried to find more freedom and that was hard. So the first year I thought I didn't learn enough to understand. I decided I wanted to do photography because it felt closer to my heart than fashion. And the first year was really too hard because I'm not good at uh, numbers. I'm not good at chemistry. So that part of photography was really hard for me, but I was so eager to do it right. And I knew that you need the basis to be good. So I decided to do the year again. It was my decision. So no teacher told me you have to do the year again. I thought, it was necessary. And so I was super motivated to be a good photographer. And so I did that. The second year, it was a little bit more specific. So we did video and photography and animation. And then I had to choose between either or. And I was a lot better at video, but my heart was with photography. And so again, I followed my heart. Every split, uh, every crossing that I came to, I think 99% I've always followed my heart and I never regret a thing I do. I never look back and think I should have done that differently because all the things I do, I take the decision from my heart, but I use my brain. So it's like this, it's brought me in so many fun and good places and I've had such a great life because of it, even though the start of my life was kind of hard. But when I started listening to myself, everything became so much better. And then I decided to do photography, but the things in school weren't very well organized. And I was super frustrated and I thought it wasn't fair and I needed to do something about it. And it wasn't fair to my fellow students. And so I kind of went all political and I was talking to my fellow students and I said, you guys, this is not normal. It should be different. And so everybody agreed with me and everybody was like, yeah, yeah, we should do something about this. Yeah. And then one day before, before we had a holiday, our teacher, because basically in photography, we only had one teacher. And he asked us, is there anything you want to talk about before we have our holiday? And I said, yes, well, I think I speak for the whole classroom when I say, and then I did my whole thing. And I was looking around, I was standing up while saying it, looking around, and everybody was quiet. Everybody was sitting down and I was the only one that kind of fought for our rights and everybody else was scared. And from that moment on, I know how it sounds, but my teacher really started to dislike me. And even though I did that first year twice because I was so super motivated, I was super motivated to have a positive experience. So that's why I try to change things. Also, I was very young. I mean, at this age, I would probably use other words, but it all came from a good heart. It always does, doesn't it? And that's where my frustration usually is. I'm like, why are people not understanding this? You know, I mean so well. <laughs> 
And then at the end of that school year, the teacher said, you know what? I don't think you're good enough to stay. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you're going to have to do an extra assignment over the summer. And we'll see if that's good enough for you to stay. And so I did the assignment. And two weeks before the new year begun, I had to show it. And then they said, nope, sorry, you're not good enough. And I'm like, huh, in two weeks, the new year will start. What am I going to do? And they're like, yeah, figure it out. Because if you stay here, and this is what they actually said, if you stay here, it's not going to be fun. So, wow. yeah, that was like a, yeah, didn't see that one coming. Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't give up. And so I went back to my high school and talked to the person that's in charge of helping people go to the next education. He was a friend of the family and I talked to him and I said, what should I do? And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a photographer. And he's like, okay, I can pull some strings and see if you, in this short time, you can still go into another college. And I did. And then I went to Den Haag, The Hague. And they let me come for, to try out, again, the word, <laughs> audition. That's the one. So I went to The Hague and I, I got into the, at the last minute at the auditions, I guess. And they were like, yeah, come, you're good. I, we love your work. Uh, the only thing is we do things so differently here that you are in the second year and you're supposed to go to the third. But if you want to come, you have to start in the first year again. And so I started again in the first year. But it really proved that I was right. Things were organized way better. The teachers were better. The Everything was better. And so I felt, again, it was like, okay, so the universe sees who I am, sees what I do, and I'm on my way. It's good. It's good. Have faith. Have trust. And then I had an assignment for Marie Claire magazine. I was not the photographer. I was just the assistant. But that was also a defining moment. I was at a fashion shoot because I decided fashion photography would be my thing because that was like a marriage between the two. I was there and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I hated everything about it and especially the people and the egos, all the egos. Everyone had an ego. Everyone wanted something to be specific and the atmosphere was ugh, horrendous. And I was just really black and white. I just said, okay, so I'm going to quit. This is not me. And then I completely quit <laughs> art school from that. After doing two years in two different places, and I remember thinking when people said to me, if you really want something, you can do it. I'm like, no, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. It, all, it depends on so many different things. But I'm sure now that there's a lot that you can do by yourself, but you have to grow first and grow as a person. And then I got a little bit deflated <laughs> and uh, I didn't know what to do. And at the time I had a boyfriend and his father 
took up the father role that I was missing from my own father. So we went on a drive, another moment I'll never forget. And he just talked to me. He said, what do you want to do? What are your plans? Uh, Why are you feeling this way? Like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. But if I start working now, I'll never go back to school. He's like, who says? And he was super supportive, even more than my boyfriend, to be honest, but it was super nice. And I decided I was going to find a job and then think about what I was going to do. So I started selling jeans in like the high streets. In hindsight, I know now that it was all part of the bigger plan because it doesn't sound like it was a logical step in what I was doing. There's like no prospect in selling jeans you're not going anywhere but I was in my 20s and it was a good pay and so I did this for a while and uh, and I moved to Rotterdam where I am now it was definitely not what I wanted to do but it also taught me a lot about helping people in a shop and how it was to uh, run a shop because within no time I was running the shop on Sundays because it was too boring just to be selling jeans. I wanted to do more. And then somebody told me about another education and I did that. I did cultural and social sciences and that is aimed at working on the background of arts and culture. So you're kind of working to give the artist a place to do their stuff. And I thought, okay, I decided I wasn't an artist. I decided if I don't take any pictures, I'm not going to be nauseous. I'm not going to be sick. I'm not going to die. I'm not an artist. I actually had some sort of trauma for a long time. I didn't take any pictures because they kind of crushed my soul. (laughs) It sounds so silly, but but I got back up because I thought I'm going to do this exercise for myself I bought this small camera and I gave myself permission to to be messy so I think I must have been about 21 or something and I took a picture every day like a journal and I slowly got back into my uh, love for photography because every time I wanted to take a picture I thought of all the rules and all of the things that weren't okay and should be different But I kind of gave myself therapy and got out of that. And in my new education, I really found a good spot to be, to help other people, to bring people together, to enjoy art and culture together. And I ended up in the music industry where I did the communication and marketing. I was head of communication for different music venues specifically pop rock music and they also did dance like events and it was really fun time like the whole week was a weekend and there was a lot of partying I was backstage manager as well at one point and there was a lot of hanging out with artists and um, getting way too much alcohol (laughs) and uh, that was definitely the rock and roll part of my life (laughs) and at that same time I started uh, DJing I was resident DJ for at least two of those venues but I also started like a feminist DJ collective so we had eight women And they all had their own talents. So one was a fashion designer. The other one was a graphic designer. Then there was a video artist. And some of them were actually 
good at DJing and the other ones taught each other to at least be okay at DJing. But as a group, we had this whole show and we had matching outfits and we had the video art and everything. And it was super cool. And we were invited to come to Stockholm to do a party for some kind of like artsy fartsy magazine and they paid for everything and we were in the, it was so funny because it already felt like superstar life and then we were in the hotel with the Hansen brothers <laughs> it is really funny <laughs> and uh, we had a blast but we were also eight women and I'm always the one that wants everything to go as democratically as possible I want everybody to feel safe and good but I go too far I should have been the band bitch in bands it's an actual term you need a band bitch to say okay this is what we're doing there's like no discussion this is what we're doing because otherwise it will be the never-ending loop of yes but yes but and my feeling to That's again, a returning thing. I always want to do the best thing for everybody. And sometimes it, it just bites me in my ass. <laughs> and that was the end of my uh, DJ collective. So how did you then get into knitting? Yeah, good question. See, this is, it's really hard to be short about the whole thing because it went all over the place. So I got into knitting after a couple of years doing what I did. I got bored after issuing out so many posters and flyers and websites. It was always the same thing, you know, after a while, it really got boring and I needed something else and I missed to make stuff. So After being in art school, I learned respect for artists. So as a head of communications, when I asked graphic designer to make a poster, I would not do his work or her work. I would say, this is what I need. Do your thing. You're good at this. And then we'll see how and what. And that meant that it looked like I had a creative occupation but I let the creatives do their work so I didn't have any way of using my creative potential and then a friend started to knit and I'm like oh my god knitting like knitting I did this when I was six and I did it like non-stop with my grandmother I remember sitting in the library on the floor and being like gulped up by this whole feeling of they were like the books where you have the patterns and everything and I would open those books and I would almost drown in the possibilities I was so excited about doing all these things so from an early age I had a love for textiles and textile arts so it turned into a love of fashion but I knitted from a young age and when I was 10 I actually also taught the kids in my class when they didn't understand what we were learning in school in knitting because we had lessons in school. So we would go to my house or their house and I would teach them how to do it. And when this friend started knitting, I was like, how could I ever forget? It's like leaving your pet by the side of the road. How did I ever do that? Why did I forget? I picked it up literally and I never let go. It was like finding my my the love of my life back after years of not seeing him, her. And so I really got a lot from it. 
because it's so good for your brain. As my brain is always on overdrive, and knitting really helped me to let all the dust settle. And I, I think it was very therapeutic for me in different ways. I made new friends. It was awesome. It was like this whole project because it was the beginning of the new wave in knitting. And there was not a lot out there, not in the Netherlands. So what I did was I go online and I found blogs in America and started reading blogs. And then I started writing a blog. And that's when my career in knitting actually started. I wrote the blog. I started designing knitwear. And when I was pregnant at the job where I was, they let me go. It was really awful because they said... If you are tired now, you will be more tired when the kid's there. So we can, th these were like the weirdest reasons for letting me go. And you're not supposed to fire a pregnant woman, but it was just really good timing. My contract was ending and so they just didn't prolong my contract. And so there I was, I heard about this while I was already in my maternity leave. So I was already at home and they're like, oh, we forgot You, you have to go back, come back because we need to tell you something. It was so rude. So I decided, okay, I have a partner that has a job. We can totally live from his job and I'll just have this baby and I'll be a mom and then I'll decide. But, you know, I get bored fast. So even within the three months of my maternity leave, I already had started my own business. And I found like a brand that I could spend the least amount of money on. Because if you start selling a brand, you have to pay thousands of euros to really have like a start amount. And I found one that only asked for 300 as a minimum. So I built my yarn empire on 300 euros of my own money. And up until today, I have never taken a loan I've never lost an hour of sleep over money in my business. And that's something that I'm hugely proud of. And so it grew from there. I started designing and I started teaching knitting in a, a Nike cafe, a sewing cafe that was owned by a friend's aunt. And I just knocked on the door and I said, can I be your knitting teacher? And she said, well, I don't want to hire you, but you can rent a piece at the table if you want, and then you could do it yourself. And so I started teaching and it went from one customer to two and then nobody and then three and then one and then four and then nobody. And slowly I grew and I thought of all these crazy ideas. And I think within a year or two, I was teaching in three different locations in the city. But that meant that I have my car full of yarn and books and all kinds of knitting gear. And I was not going to take it out of my car. So my car was basically a driving knitting shop. And people were starting to say, I think it's time for you to find a place. And there was a fire engine garage, but people had a hard time finding it because it was hidden behind a street. So I... Um, moved to the shopping streets. I asked the organization that rents out these shops in the street. I asked him if there was a place for me. 
And he said, this is what it costs. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but you know, what if I bring a couple of more people with me to the street? Because it was in the middle of the recession. Like it was 2010. The street was empty. The shops were empty. And I'm like, I'm going to bring more people to the street. And I did. And so I got a good deal. And so now I have been running my uh, yarn business, my wool business, for 10 years. I've built it into a needle craft school, a community of people. I have built my own brand where I work together with other makers, local makers, to make yarns, accessories, tools for knitters and crocheters. We had lots of events and obviously the selling of a curated collection of yarns. In the beginning, I focused on selling people with different budgets natural yarns. That was my goal. I wanted everybody to be able to have the positive feeling that a natural yarn can give you as opposed to acrylics that are basically just plastic bags rolled up in a ball. And that was my first thing. But then along the way, I discovered that if I sold yarns to those prices, my customers weren't paying, but somebody had to pay. So somewhere in the chain of things, somebody was, well, let's call it suffering because sometimes it is. And it could have been the animals, the people that produce the yarn. But at the end, it also was me because I wasn't making any money. And so I kind of shifted a little bit. I pivoted and I focused on fair yarns, natural yarns, if possible, in a wide uh, budget range. But that wasn't the most important thing. So from then on, I focused on materials that were good to the human family, animals, and the environment. But I never marketed my brand as an organic brand because it's a lot of things. It's never one thing. And it's always a combination Then last year, I found out that I have congenital heart condition and I had to have an operation and it was a basic operation, but it didn't go very well. And so after three months, I wasn't any better. And then I found out that I have a new issue that's either caused by the operation or was lying underneath. And now it's, it's like out in the open and I had to make a decision. Do I get another operation? Do I get like serious medication? Or do I try to really drastically change my life and see if I become better, if my stress levels are down? And so I decided to work less and less until I had almost only three days in the shop open left. And then COVID happened. (laughs) And so we decided to close the shop. And because I am at risk in three levels because of my heart problems, I have asthma, I'm quite the large girl. And so I decided to pivot again. So now I'm online. I'm focusing only on my brand. I'm working on a podcast that is called A Smaller Life. And it's about as an entrepreneur and as a person in this day and age, how do you make your 
overwhelming, stressful life smaller, but as a business grow and as a person grow at the same time. And I think knitting is something that really has an important place in your mental health, going slower, going smaller, and being very conscious about the decisions that you make is tremendously helpful in any person's life, but especially if you have a crazy brain like mine. <laughs> I really want to capture this where we met and where our journeys kind of interlinked. Yes. Because you were right in the transition from going, you know, having your shop closed and starting to pivot and thinking of how you can keep your business and growing it, but transforming it, right? Mm -hmm. And I just learned a couple of weeks earlier that I was a gifted adult, which I never thought I would be. And then we were assigned in these small groups where we exchanged and we started talking and I shared my story. And I guess, I'm just guessing you were probably thinking, oh, that sounds interesting. Great. Yes. Good for her. Good for her. And the more I started talking to you, and we instantly clicked. I felt like you and I, we had an instant connection and we had this fast pace back and forth about, you know, business ideas. Yeah. But then as I got to know you better, I thought, well, the things you mentioned, as you always said, your brain is constantly on, you have a thousand ideas. And I'm not a psychologist, but I was like, maybe Saskia, maybe you're one of us, you know, <laughs> maybe this also translates to you. And I saw so many parallels. And do you remember what was the first reaction when I first offered you this explanation for you or when I first mentioned this to you? Yeah, it is very interesting because the things you were saying about yourself and about your journey and this podcast, lots of things were like, hmm. And then when you said that to me, I'm like, no, dude, no, because I can't do math. <laughs> so it can't be me. But sometimes I've got this overwhelming feeling of I get these waves of total understanding of everything and then they go. And I've never been able to explain that. And talking to you, uh, I saw so many parallels. But at the same time, every time I saw a parallel and after you said that, I'm like, no, but not me. But after you said that, every day there's like clicks. But at the same time, I still, I'm still not really taking action on it because I still every time I think, but doesn't everybody work like that? Isn't everybody thinking this? But this is just how it is. People are, all people go through this. And then you keep saying, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> and I'm like, but yeah. <laughs> and lately, I, th I think you said, I think, I'm not sure if it was you because I did start reading things a little bit that you probably surround yourself with people that are similar And so that also doesn't give me an idea that like the general crowd is different. So I don't see myself as different. I see maybe the other way around. I don't know, but I'm learning and I'm curious, but it's just so hard to believe. 
And this is really why I invited you to this podcast episode is really to show other listeners the journey and the struggle of accepting. Yeah. And even though you you don't know for sure yet. But when I had the conversation with Nicole, I feel like I was where you are now. Yeah. And then I'm basically your Nicole sharing <laughs> my story and said like, oh, I had to pay somebody, right? To actually give me this stamp on the forehead. Yeah. Yeah. Are. Because otherwise we would never accept, we would never take this as truth and yeah now when people tell me or ask me like oh should I take a test should I find out should I get an assessment mm. I think it's up to you it can also be money out the window because for me it's so clear that I think why do you need this evaluation from the outside if this is really something that resonates with you and you can identify with and you see those pain points that other gifted adults are sharing, why not accept it and use it for your own path? Yeah, I think th I have like two trains of thought about this because I really believe that's how um, we all should live and do things like uh, accept things for yourself and deal with it for yourself. That kind of thing where you just okay, I'm going to make the best of how things are for me and I don't care what everybody else thinks. But at the other hand, I don't care what everybody else thinks, but like really close to home, like my, my partner, I actually didn't even tell him what this interview was going to be about because I'm kind of, it doesn't, it feels a little bit like I'm going to be honest to you because that's why you invited me. And because I want people that are listening to this to get something out of it, and it wouldn't be helpful if I wasn't honest, but I'm kind of ashamed because it feels like, oh my God, if that is true, that makes a lot of sense. But that also is such a, a, a mirror that is kind of really hard to deal with as well. If it's true, that means that I have to deal with some facts. And because if I don't, they'll come back to me. I, I'm sure of it. So I've started this journey. I do believe that I didn't meet you by accident. Things happen for a reason because you're open to it. And that's when you see them. If I wasn't open to it and you said this to me, I would have waved it away and I would go on with my life and never think about it again. But I have been really thinking about it. I didn't take a lot of action because I think whether if it's true or not, wh whomever I am or whatever stamp you can put on me, I think I've always been so creative in finding ways to, to overcome the things that were hard for me. So I'm very good at languages in speaking, but I'm not so good at the grammar and stuff. I'm very good in if I have to calculate how much yarn somebody needs, but I freeze if somebody asks me, can you give me change back? I'm like, oh my God. And all of these things, I found ways around it. All of my life, I used my creativity to, yeah, work around. It worked but it wasn't easy. 
So there's a lot of emotion around this whole topic. And I think that's a lot of the reason that I haven't really dove into it for myself. I'm like slowly at the moment, quite literally putting all these pieces together. I'm almost 45, so I'm totally in a midlife whatever. (laughs) So I'm totally looking at who am I? Who was I? Who am I now? My shop was such a large part of my identity and it's now changing. And I used to be a DJ and I used to be in the music. I used to be a snowboarder. I'm none of that now. I'm the woman that used to have a yarn shop. Oh my God. That's like, so I'm on this journey and I'm so confused whether it's going to help me or not. And that's what you're asking. That's actually what I was going to answer. I'm glad I picked it up again. I think I would want to know. I think it would help me. Yeah. So what are you afraid of to going down this journey? Yeah, I think the weird thing is that I don't think of that as like a bad thing. What if I was a gifted person? That would really feel like a gift in a way. That's weird because I know most people don't think of it that way. But for me, it would be a gift because it would explain so much. And what am I afraid of? The thing is, I don't, my, this is kind of a hard one. My self-worth isn't up there yet. I don't think I'm worthy of that gift. I think that's it. I'm not sure. It's so hard to explain. It's so emotional in a way. Are you afraid that giftedness and what you read about it and what you heard about it explains so much of who you are? But then when you actually go and have an evaluation or a talk with a professional that they probably say, no, you're not. And then you start from the beginning. Is that your fear? Yeah, I think that's a lot of the fear. I think as I'm speaking now, I'm probably going to share this conversation with my friends and on social media. And as I'm talking, I'm like, oh my God, they will think I'm crazy. They will think that you're not gifted. You're just creative. So this gives you maybe a little push to go and actually get the stamp. Yeah, and I just want to really... I love what you're doing and I think it's really necessary that people find this information, if it's true or not, that they find like this tool on their way to understanding who they are. So, and that's why I did it because I'm the person that is on a specific place in that journey. And so I can be the voice, hopefully, for some of those people But yeah, there's a lot of, I'm scared in a lot of ways, absolutely. And and ashamed and kind of excited. There's a lot going on. I'm asking exactly these questions because I see myself in you. The emotions that you're feeling were the emotions I had in May. And so I, I can totally relate. And after having this one hour conversation with a psychologist, where was like, yeah, you know, we always think, Being gifted is such a rare thing and it's 2% of the population, but in absolute numbers, it's not that, it's not that rare. There's quite a few of us. And later I felt differently about my own giftedness than about the giftedness of other people. If Nicole today told me, Hey, I'm in this 
category, but I haven't done an evaluation, but whatever I read, it resonates so strongly with me. I would say, wow, that's great. Well, take it as your truth, take it and own it. But for myself, I felt like an imposter if I said like, oh, I read this book, it resonates with me, but me, it it can just not be me. Exactly. And I'm not judging you for it. So why would people judge me for it? I'm not like, oh, Nadja, she's like big words. (laughs) I don't judge you for it. I even really... Is it weird to say I don't care? I care that you find your best path in life. That's what I care about. I don't care what it's called, if it has a name or not. I like you as a person. But I think that people might say that about me. And I've also been on this like little journey a while ago. And I'm coming back to that now where I'm like, I could just be ADHD or maybe both. But something is going on. Something is different. There's been multiple customers saying that you're one too, aren't you? I'm like, oh, I really don't know, but I guess. (laughs) And yeah, definitely. There's a lot of overlap there as well. So it's just finding out why would you go on a journey to find out if you have these labels or not? I guess it's probably for me personally, it's to understand things in hindsight and to... God, that explains a lot. That feeling of, oh my God, now I understand. And it's not so much for me, it's like therapeutic to my past, but it also can help a lot in the future. I mean, yes, I'm in the middle of my life. I'm not old. I have like so many years to go. So for an adult, it's so important to embrace all these tools that can help you to have like a better quality of life. And even if you're not going, if you're not like bent under the pressure, everything that's better is better, right? So... Yeah, so I'm super grateful that you're doing this whole lifestyle thing with the podcast and I can't wait to, I've loved it so far. So I can't wait to hear all the other people coming in. So I would just want to encourage you to really keep going on your journey and maybe take a step back and look at it the way you talk to yourself or the way that you assume about yourself how you would see it if it was somebody else. Because this is exactly the struggle all of these unidentified adults going through on this journey. And it reflects so well the people I talk to. And I'm grateful that you allow me to capture this conversation. And I hope once you've gone through the past, you might come back and share what it's done for you. I will. Definitely, I will. Yeah. I've had people around me, especially women. It seems hard for women that have found out in their adult life that they're somewhere on the spectrum. And it's so interesting to see how that helps people. But there's a lot of negativity around autism, ADHD, giftedness, especially with parents and children, parents that think that their children are one of these things are usually perceived as everybody thinks their children are like the best in the world and there's all these opinions and so it's hard to navigate you have to be a little bit you have to have a lot of balls (laughs) 
I think it's also something, obviously, on the podcast, I talk very openly about it because I want to create awareness and really crushing this taboo around this topic. But obviously, if you found out you're gifted, you don't have to go and tell it everybody True. tomorrow. Absolutely. Like wearing a button or like knitting a sweater that says gifted. <laughs> well, okay, you will come back to the show and you will tell everybody on the podcast and then the whole world will know. But by then I, I might hope- not be. I still think it's weird. I still think it's weird, but I think I should definitely go and find out. I'm really encouraging you. I think if you go and explore who you are it will also help the whole family so I think yeah pushing you a little bit okay so last question where can people find you yes so everything is basically on my website uh, which is www.ja-wol.com yeah wool so yes wool and then it's German, jawohl. <laughs> it's a little joke, but not everybody gets it. And then I'm at jawohl Rotterdam on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. And we're looking forward to hearing back from you. Yes, I'll keep you posted. Bye. Bye. Wow, what a story. I hope you enjoyed this. And I hope you can see what I see and heard all the keywords that I heard her over the last few months speak about. So just to name a few, the fact that she had so many different careers and different industry and how quickly she could learn new concepts and just taught herself, but also how quickly she got bored. And she mentioned several times how her brain seems to never shut up. The fact that she just got into trouble for speaking up at her school and to seem to be a threat to her teachers and also being this rebel, right? She really knew from an early age who she was, but then knew that she didn't really fit in. She also was a visionary and at many levels, she was actually before the trends. She didn't even mention this all in the interview, but sometimes she was really ahead of her time and her need for this always democratic approach that everybody needs to have a voice that needs to be heard. This need for equality is also a gifted trait. The fact that she entered a creative photo competition and just won, I thought that was so cool. Not sure if that's gifted or not, but that's really amazing. So yeah, and then she changed her school and She even repeated a year, even though nobody told her she had to, but she just felt the need to really dig into the subject even more. So yeah, that just just to name a few of the things that I heard after listening to the last episode with Paula Prober, Saskia actually came back to me and he said, you know, the more I listen, the more I read about this topic, the more I'm really starting to take this as my own. And so slowly, slowly, she's accepting, but she also still is a little bit scared of how people might take this. And she feels that maybe people will take this the wrong way, think that she feels superior. But 
obviously none of us gifted do, right? We're just wired a little bit differently and we experience the world differently. And it gives us just such an explanation of why we didn't fit in in so many places, why we had such a hard time going through what seems so easy to other people like school and education and in a workplace. I really encourage her to truly, truly own it. Obviously, she doesn't have to shout it from the rooftops, but gaining this confidence, taking this as her own and seeing her own worth and her own value because she's just such an inspiration, such a loving person. And you probably heard and felt her energy. She's unstoppable. And I'm wishing her all the best and good luck with her conscious knitting club and her online business her own brand her podcast which is coming soon so if you want to hear her first episodes coming i suggest you already go and have a peek on apple podcast and you can already subscribe it's called a smaller life where people go smaller but then going bigger and better so it's a really awesome concept and I encourage you to go and subscribe because the first episode is going to drop very, very soon. And then you will be the first to know and you can hear more from Saskia. And if you like this show and this episode, I would also encourage you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. And it will mean the world if you just hit the review button and give it a few stars and share it with somebody that feels they're too much, and maybe it could make a difference in their lives. It certainly has for me. So thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoyed this show, and I see you in two weeks. Bye!